Oh, you ready? <laughs> okay, okay. I, th- I thought this was what I just want to take a second here. As, if I'm acting weird, I'm sorry. I just, it is what it is. So I am, I'm going to preach on something else today. And uh, next week, we will pick up in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. And I could have I probably did the same thing out of Revelation chapter, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 8, but I just felt like the Lord, I felt like he was drawing me here earlier too. And so anyway, it's all the word of God, so I think we're safe. But let me, uh, let me ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And what I want to do today is I want to I preach a message that really doesn't have a title, but it has a purpose. And oh, one is good. Thank you. Um, and the purpose is, because I, I feel like the Lord has brought to my mind Today, especially, but through the week, so many people who uh, are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but at the same time, they have burdens that are piling up on them. And while I, I really do, in my heart of hearts, know and understand that whatever your interpretation of Revelation is, is that the book of Revelation is intended to show us how to suffer well for the kingdom of God, that it might produce the results of the building of the kingdom of God and for the glorification of Jesus Christ. In other words, it helps you to understand that there's purpose behind your suffering. Okay? While we do understand that there is purpose behind our suffering, sometimes we lose sight of that promise and we lose sight of the significance of, 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 of knowing that there is purpose in our suffering. Because if we understand that there is purpose in our suffering, whatever type of suffering that you're in, if we understand that there's purpose in our suffering, then we can be led to embrace our suffering for the results that it produces. And if we can embrace our suffering for the result that it produces, then we can take rest and we can be assured that Jesus Christ will be glorified, will be honored with everything that happens in our life, and therefore we can suffer well. Does that make sense? And that transforms the problem areas in our life It transforms the uh, trials in our life and the tribulation in our life. It transforms all of those things from pain into purpose. And though it may hurt, it's going to be holy. And so as we turn to Romans chapter 5, I want to remind you of just what's being produced, just what's being done, and why we find that it's okay, not just okay, but Blessed and and a joyous occasion when we encounter trials and tribulations and suffering that seems to make no sense. Okay? And maybe this is right in line with a Thanksgiving week that approaches, a Thanksgiving week where we would think on these things, where where we would contemplate what we have to be thankful for. You see, many times as I talk to people about what we have to be thankful for and as I as I contemplate and as I think of and as I bring to memory, try to bring, bring to, to, to memory things that I have to be thankful for, I always tend to think of the things that are positive things. And it's things such as my wife, my children, a job, 
friends, family, a roof over my head, so on and so forth. We tend to think of these things. How many of us, when we name the things that we're thankful for, we said we're thankful that we encountered this suffering, that we're thankful that we lost our job, that we're thankful that we lost uh, our health, or that we're thankful that we had a, a son or a daughter go astray. We're thankful that we lost our, a relationship with our wife or with our husband, that we're thankful for these things. You say, That's, that doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense if we are not kingdom-minded. It doesn't make any sense if the kingdom of God is not first and foremost the center of our universe. That everything in our life is to, uh, the greatest goal of everything in our life is to magnify his name and to build his kingdom. You see, this will separate the goats from the sheep. It'll separate the wheat from the tear. And this absolutely falls in line with Revelation because that's what the whole book is about. The same sun that softens or that melts the ice hardens the clay. You see, in order to encounter trials and tribulation and struggle and suffering and glorify God in it, is an absolute sign of a transformed spirit and a transformed person, a transformed soul. But how can that be? Aren't those people just strange? They're like aliens, foreigners. You say you rejoice in your suffering, you rejoice in your trial, you, 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 you're very often uh, likely to call them a liar because that's just ridiculous. Well, let's read the scriptures. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's read the scriptures. I want to show you what Paul writes in Romans, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen to this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die maybe. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more. you got to catch this. I'm going to read that again. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's read that one one more time too. 
more than that, more than even living in his life and being saved by his life, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. The weight of this scripture is so great that when it falls onto a believer, it shatters everything else that's been resting on him or trying to hold him up. You see, oftentimes we place all of these things in our life and we bring to mind all of these things in our life that we can go to and that we can think about and that we can use as evidence for a transformed life, but they are nothing but waste and rubbish. We use things like, and it's, it's usually good things. It's usually good things. It's usually things like a job or a family or money or all of those things aren't necessarily evil, but they can lead to evil. They're not necessarily good. They're just indifferent. They're things that, that are part of this life, part of this world that we use to get by and so on and so forth, but they are not the things that hold us up. They shouldn't be. But oftentimes when we think about our lives and we think about struggles and we think about why we're going through this struggle, we think about those things in order to gain our identity and think, well, it's going to be okay. You say, what do you mean? You see, when you go through a struggle at work, you say, well, I've got my savings. When you go through a struggle with your spouse, you say, well, I've got my children. When you go through a struggle with your children, you say, well, I've got my wife. When you go through a struggle with your wife, you say, I've got my bank account. You see, you've got all of these other things that hold you up when things get rough. But the thing is, is that those other things are temporal and they are not everlasting. They will corrupt. They will fall. They will bleed. They will fail. So Jesus Christ, Paul here tells us of Jesus Christ, the only buttress, the only support, the only thing that carries us through the, the rough times and the suffering, not only carries us through, but tells us that those things which sought to kill us will only make us stronger and glorify him in the end. What type of God is this? You see, the things of the world that we try to put our hope in to, to make up for these struggles that we have, they only promise that maybe they'll help you back at the end. Maybe they'll provide a little bit of a, a dulling of the pain. But Jesus Christ says, no, I will take that pain. I will take that struggle. I will jerk it up, and I will use it for my glory. Wow. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he say this right before he goes on to talk about the suffering? Is that you can't have peace in suffering. You can't have meaning in suffering unless you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you see, it's only the believers who get to claim that the suffering in life is for a greater purpose. Because the suffering in an unbeliever's life is part of the judgment. The suffering in an unbeliever's life has no end to it. It only gets worse. You see, those who do not call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved and are transformed and are turned upside down, their suffering is, is only going to gain greater importance. And here's the truth. The unbeliever, they only have the things of the world they only have these temporal things 
that might hold them up for a little while and might be a blessing. That's why the scripture says that let, that let them have, they have their reward here. Isn't it crazy? I don't even know if you ever thought about this. Isn't it crazy that believers oftentimes desire the rewards of the unrighteous? Right? Oftentimes we, we even allow the rewards of the unrighteous to cause us to be jealous of unrighteousness. God, why, are you, why have you blessed them so much? God, why have you given them all of these things? And God's over there going, son, that's all they've got. Son, that's, let them have fun for a little while. They've got to go home to their father later. You get to come home with me. You see, when my... When my son has friends over, there's a rule in my house. There's a rule in my house that whoever the, the child coming over and visiting is, they really kind of get the run of the house. Whatever game they want to play, they get to play. Whatever movie they want to pick, they get to pick it and they get to watch it. If we're playing a game, they get first. If there's only three controllers and there's four boys, the visitor plays. Because he's got to go home. And all of this stuff belongs to you. And when he goes home, you can have free reign of everything. You see, so many times we look at the, we, we look at the unbelievers and we shake our fist and we say, why do they have so much? And you know how much of a slap in the face that is to God? It's, you know, we could go on and on about this, but the prodigal son and the elder brother, same, same situation. You know, the elder brother's looking at the father going, I can't believe you did that for him. And the father looked at the other brother and said, son, you've, got, you've been here the whole time. Let's rejoice that the, that the prodigal is home. Let's rejoice that the younger son is home. You've, you've been with me the whole time. Everything I've got is yours. You see, the reason that he starts off, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, is he knows that if you don't have faith in Christ, and if you've not been reconciled to God through faith, if you've not been reconciled to the, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then you have no perspective. You have no ability to look at the present situation as it actually is. There is no reason for you to understand that there is something greater if you're not connected with the something greater. You can never understand that and you can never believe that unless you are intrinsically and faithfully tied to that which is greater. How can it be realistic in your life? How can it be applied to your life if you don't have faith, if you've not been justified? If you don't have Jesus Christ, then you're right. All you have is this right here. And you need to grovel. You need to be, you need, you, everything you've got is being taken. But see, the, the believer's not like that. The believer's not like that. The believer has the capacity, the realistic capacity to say, take it all. You can't take this. You may take it all, but you can't take this. And this is why I will give all of this up and still be just perfectly fine. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God? Peace with God? Why would we need peace with God? This is an, this is an, uh, an undesirable topic, isn't it, for many? Controversial. You need peace with God because all outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, and reconciliation to God, if you need peace with God because you're at war with God. 
You're an enemy of God. The scriptures are very plain to us. You're an enemy of God. And anything that God would allow you to have is your reward here on this side because in the end, your suffering is going to be so magnificent that you will not be even able to comprehend the great gnashing of teeth and the separation. All of this because we refuse to bow our knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him we, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, we oftentimes as, as children of God, we stop, we stop at the first verse. We stop at we have peace with God. And we say, God's not gonna kill me now. Whew. Now I'll just hold out to the end and, and I'll suffer through it and it'll be really, really hard and it'll be horrible, it'll be horrible. But one day, one day, since God's not gonna kill me, maybe I'll have life. Don't stop there. He says, he says, therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also, see, there's more. There's not just peace with God. It's not like Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that you'd be even with the house. Well, you don't owe me anything anymore. We're good. We'll meet again one day. No. He made you even with the house, but then there's more. But wait, there's more. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, so we also not only have peace with God, but now we have access to this grace. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. Grace is, is receiving that which we did not deserve. Grace is receiving favor, it's receiving forgiveness, it's receiving this relationship when we didn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, we deserved death, we deserved wrath. But God, through his magnificent love, through his mercy, has, has brought us into his fold. And he has said, you've been justified, declared not guilty through the righteousness of Christ. And you have, been, you have been brought into a peaceful relationship with God. But not only that, but you get to enter into this grace. You see, we walk around on eggshells because we think that we can lose the peace with God, not understanding that God desires for you to walk right into his presence right into his presence. You remember the scripture that says uh, that we uh, now enter into the throne room of grace with confidence, with confidence we enter the throne room of grace. And I, and I you know, teaching the, the womanhood class today, great class today, and, and, and we, we started talking about the distinguishing factors between men and women and these different roles and how hard it is to fulfill those roles and how hard it is to walk in those roles. And we came to the conclusion, I think, that the only way that a woman can walk in her roles, and I will carry that right on over into men, the only way that a man can walk in his role is if he is filled up full of the Lord Jesus Christ and he is dead to self. He's completely dead to self because we walk in this grace and we don't need anybody else to tell us who we are because Jesus Christ has told us exactly who we are. We don't need the world def defining us. We don't need the world telling us what we should do or what we shouldn't do. We know who we are in Jesus Christ. And not only do we know who we are in Jesus Christ, we are empowered by the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead to do what God has called us to do. And we must live our life in relationship to him and everything here will work itself out. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, even when we encounter these things, we still rejoice 
James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing that it says the same thing here, that it produces endurance, that it produces this perseverance, that, that, that these things, you see, these things that happen, these sufferings that happen in an unbeliever's, unbeliever's life are part of the judgment, but these things that happen in a believer's life are part of the testing. They're part of the, 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 the filtering. They're, they're part of the furnace. They're part of the, the, the trials that are shaping and molding him into what God desires for him to be. So you can even rejoice in these things. Count it all blessings, count it all joy to be thankful for the trials and the tribulations, to be thankful for the suffering because it is, it is wielding you, it is shaping you, it is forming you into who God desires for you to be. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. You see, that is the, that's the thing. That's why most of us when we encounter a trial or a struggle, that's why most of us cannot embrace it because we're ashamed of it. And what is the root of that? It is pride. It is pride. How do I, how do I say that? It's that we feel as if when a, when something comes against us. Now, let me speak for a moment to those things that, those things that you didn't cause yourself. Sins that's been committed against you. You see, we're sinners, yes. People are sinners. But we're also victims of sin. And a lot of the times, we, we refuse to allow the suffering in our life that it's, that it's not our fault necessarily. That someone brings against us, we refuse to use that in the kingdom of God, in the building of the kingdom of God, because we feel as if it marks us out as less deserving of respect. It's, it's shameful. It's embarrassing to us. And so we deny it, or we try to cover it up, or we try to get out from under it. We try to, but instead, we should embrace that thing. I see this oftentimes in marriages. All kind of relationships, but a lot of times in marriages. And because a marriage is failing or a marriage is troubled or, or because of some type of difficulty in the marriage, we, we, all, we, we tend to just say, no, it's not happening. No, it's not happening. We deny, we deny, we deny, we deny because we want to save face. We feel as if, if we admit that there's trouble, then it is a, an admission of failure. And it makes us look bad. So, so follow me for a second. So instead of handing this thing over to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I cannot, I cannot, and I don't know what you're doing in this thing, God, but I'm placing it at your feet. I'm asking for help. I'm proclaiming out to the Lord. I'm asking friends. I'm, I'm admitting my weakness. And instead of admitting your weakness in, sort, in order that the marriage might be reconciled or that it might be used at least for the glory of God, we hold on to it, we deny it, and we say, no. No, and in order to maintain our pride, we kill the marriage. We sacrifice the marriage or the relationship. It could be a child and a parent. It could be friendships. It could be a work relationship. Whatever that might be, in order to save face, we'll sacrifice the relationship on the altar of pride. Because we do not want to suffer shame. 
But what the scripture here is telling us is that if you give it all over to Jesus Christ, the hope and the glory of God will not put you to shame. Because even if you lose your life and lose everything that you have, as long as you maintain faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will flip that on its head and he will show you that the greatest shame you ever experienced on earth was his greatest glory in the kingdom of God. Just like Job. Just like Job. How embarrassing would it have been for Job? But in the end, he was vindicated, and everything that was wrong was put right. And there was no shame. There was no shame in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This is a chain of events here, that that suffering produces endurance. The only way that suffering can produce endurance is if you're held together by the first two verses. And that is faith in Jesus Christ. You've been justified and you have peace with God. But not only that, we have obtained access into this grace. We also, not only peace with God, but we, but we uh, come into this, uh, uh, this, this position of grace in which we stand. We stand up in it. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So if this is true in our life and we have faith, which brings peace, and that peace then brings along access into grace and this power to stand up in the faith that we've been given in the hope of the glory of God, then we understand that when we actively live in the relationship with Jesus Christ that brings about these type of characteristics in a person's life, that then they can make it through their suffering and not just make it through it, but thrive in it. You find somebody that thrives in their suffering, and I'll show you a man or a woman of God that walks daily with Jesus Christ. And that's ladies, turn my attention to you ladies that were in that class this morning. That's how First Peter can say those of you who live with an unbelieving husband should continue to live in quiet submissiveness with all gentleness. And as you live out your life before God, you will win your husband to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because perseverance and suffering brings about endurance and it is the absolute greatest sign of an affected life by Jesus Christ. Your suffering is your greatest tool for evangelism. That's a tough truth. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and then endurance produces character. You see, as you persevere in that suffering and it produces that endurance, that endurance also in turn produces character. You see, you want your husband, ladies or, or, or husbands, you want your wives to look at you and say, how can this man have this type of character? Because we all know how horrible we are to each other. And I keep going back to husbands and wives. We can use children and parents because you're always the hardest and the meanest to those who are close to you because you can get away with it more so than anybody else if you're not as close to me as, as my well let me use that backwards there so I don't get no trouble <laughs> if you're not as close as my wife is to me you could never be harsh to her like I am from time to time and her hang around you she gonna stay around you yes I'm 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 harsh with her sometimes but it's wrong but I'm going to tell you right now, one of you men out there who's not as close to my wife as I am, you, you do that to her, she will never come around you again. And vice versa. You see, we're always harder on the ones closest to us, right? We're always harder on the ones closest to us. So when you are, when you are easy and gentle, husbands or wives, when you love your wife, even when she's crazy, when you love your husband, even, even when he's a big old piece of you know what? 
When you love, when you suffer well that way, then that suffering produces endurance. And that endurance produces character because they look at you and they say, how can they still love me? How can they still be here? How can they still live like this? And the only explanation is God. Now, sometimes that just makes them all the more harder. And sometimes the wife is going to leave. Sometimes the husband is going to leave. But that does not change the way that you interact with your wife or the way that you live for your God. Because you don't live for your wife. You don't, you don't lovingly, sacrificially lead your wife because she deserves it. You do it because God's called you to do it. You don't submit and, and gently, quietly follow your husband and, and, and come alongside of him and help him and lift him up and, and become his helpmate like it was created for you to do in the beginning because he deserves it. No. None of you would do it. You do it because God has called you to do it. And when he does not deserve it, you do it all the more because this is what produces character. And this is the greatest point of evangelism. I have people come to me and they say, I'm, 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 I'm struggling in my marriage. I think God's wanting out. No, God's just giving you an opportunity for grace. It's all the more opportunity. And I know that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to a to a worldly person, I understand that. It doesn't have to make sense to a godly person. You've got to be walking hand in hand to understand that your wife being absolutely mean to you is a blessing from God. <laughs> or that your husband being an absolute joke is a blessing from God. This is, this is ministry opportunity. Is your husband, I'm not even kidding. Yes, that's starting in your home. Is your husband a mission field for you? Is your, wife your, is your wife your church? Hey, I'll take you right now to the scriptures and show you how your wife should be your church. Husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, for her that he might wash her in the water of the word that he might present to himself a bride that without spot or blemish. How are you supposed to love your wife? You're supposed to love her like Jesus did the church. You are the pastor of your home. How many of you would come back to this church if I treated you like you treat your wife? Silence falls over the crowd. <laughs> and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. How does the character produce hope? The character produces hope because character in the midst of suffering is the gospel. That's what Jesus is. He went as a lamb before its shears, yet he did not open his mouth. Suffering with pure motives in order to obey God, glorify God, and save and minister to a lying, broken, dead people, that's hope. That's the gospel. That's character in the face of suffering, which produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I could keep on going in that, but I, I think I want to end there. We've got a few more things in the service. So I want to, I want to end there, and I want, to, I want to ask you, what is it in your life right now? I know that we've got struggles, I, and right now, you know, it's coming up into a, a time of, of dinners and, and um, Thanksgiving get-togethers and family and, and there's maybe many families in here that are splintered many families in here that are struggling or on the edge of splintering
There might be splintering. And, and, and there's, there's all these questions. There's all these questions of, of what will it be like? How can I interact with that person? How can I even be around them because of what they've done? Or, or how, can I, how can I be nice to this person? And let me, let me give you the answer to that practically speaking. We must go to the scriptures and we must go to our king in order to be so filled up full of the Holy Spirit so filled with the peace of God, so filled with the hope that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we have nothing but, but grace to give. We have nothing but love to give. If there be any room in your heart for bitterness, get rid of it. If there be any, any part of you that is unjustified anger, get rid of it. And the only way we can get rid of it is to be in a full, uh, 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 all-out, daily relationship with God that washes all of that stuff away and there is no more room for it. There is no more room for it. You have an opportunity this weekend to be an absolute evangelist, an absolute witness for the kingdom of God because you are going to be around people that you can't stand. <laughs> Everybody's like, amen. I'm going over to his family's for Thanksgiving or I'm going over to her family. You're going to be around people that fleshly speaking in your flesh, you can't hardly stand to be around them. Some of you, it's your spouse. Some of you, it's estranged children. Some of you, it's in-laws, brother-in-law, sister-in-laws. I see some of you going, oh. You see, the higher on the head you go, I saw that, Toby. The higher on the head, oh, I hope nobody's, I hope your in-law isn't watching, no, I'm just kidding. You see, the higher on the head you go, the worse it is. You're like, yeah, they're all right. Man, they're just causing me problems. I gotta get out, you know. It wasn't that on a Seinfeld, if it? But see, it works the same in relationships. Suffering is really our greatest evangelism tool in many ways. Because if that person knows that you can't hardly stand them, one, you've been a bad witness. That's not living for Christ. But if all of a sudden now when you get around them, you just love them like they've never been loved before, one, that's going to, like, like the, the scripture says, it's going to be heaping up coals onto their head. But two, it's the way to show the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the scripture said, we could have went on, that one might die for a good guy. One might die for a good guy. But while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our weakness, Christ died for us at the opportune time. You see, while you were just a horrible wretch, Christ died for you. And this is how that should bleed over to other people because it don't matter who you're around they're not as bad as you are what they've done to you isn't as bad as what you did to Jesus and he still loved you so as you humbly sacrifice yourself at the foot of the cross as you remember what your great savior did for you you can rejoice in all of your sufferings knowing that they produce all of these wonderful things and they will not put you to shame so you say, take from me as much as you need that you might see King Jesus. How many of us will do that? Take from me as much as you need until you see King Jesus. Let's be the light of the gospel this week.
Let's remember that even in our trials, we can be thankful. Let's remember that even in our struggles, even in our temptations, even, even in our greatest weaknesses, we can, be, we can be excited and we can be hopeful that God might take those things and use them for His glory and our good. You see, that's even true with your testimony. Whatever it is, drugs, greed, work, sex, addictions, whatever that might be. You see, God even takes those things and he flips them on their head and he uses them for his glory. Amen? Let's be thankful this week, church. Let's worship him. Let's remember all of the things that we've got to be thankful for. Number one, the first and foremost thing is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for you too. As we all stand to our feet and as we